Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Eugene Rapkin, and I'm here with my friend Wesley Isel, uh, the frontman of the band's Cold Cave, an American Nightmare, um, and also someone who I find to be one of the stylish people I've met. So I thought, who better to talk about fashion and music than Wes? And it's something I've wanted to address for a long time, fashion and music is such a rich topic, and I thought it'd be great to talk to you as about it. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So people have been asking me how we met actually on some of the <laughs> Instagram Q and A. So I think I should tell the story. And basically, I knew called caves music i didn't know american nightmare actually before we met um i knew cold cave i knew the music and after a while i realized that we have a lot of friends in common and that you are into yeah. sort of the same type of fashion that i'm into and then the news came out uh that you were going to tour with Nine Inch Nails in Europe. Oh, right. And I thought, like being a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, I thought, well, this is the time to introduce myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote you an email just saying, you know, hello, we have friends in common, but we haven't met actually. Right. And I remember, and I remember getting a really nice email back from you and and then I think we met in Paris, right? I invited you and Amy to a party we were throwing. That's right. Yeah. yeah. At David and Lynch's club. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's Silencio. Um, and yeah, we really, I think we really hit it off. Like I've never, I, it's rare for me to feel so comfortable with someone I meet right away. Um, and I felt that with you and Amy and, and then you invited me on tour with Nine Inch Nails and I had like, you don't know this, I haven't told you this, but like <laughs> I had, I was so broke <laughs> at the time. Wow. Like it, yeah, for me, it was like a pretty big decision to buy a plane ticket to Europe. <laughs> right. And... I but think it was, it was worth like, it. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> it was worth it. And uh, I, I remember your face very clearly uh, being backstage in Paris and you were in heaven. <laughs> I, I was. I was. You were in heaven. It really, it really was something extraordinary. And actually, the Paris concert, so I went to two with you one in Antwerp and one in Paris and the Paris concert was the last time I went to the mosh pit and then I closed <laughs> my mosh pit career with that and I thought well I couldn't think of a better one to, yeah that's to, it yeah that that was it and there's something else I didn't tell you um 
I totally fucked up the flight because <laughs> I was so excited buying it. And I flew Iceland Air from through Reykjavik. And what I didn't realize is that my plane to Reykjavik landed at like uh, 11 p.m. But my flight to Brussels was like at 6 a.m. the next day. So I slept like a homeless person in the airport. And I was like, should I be doing this at 36? I'm like, am I like a little too old for this? (laughs) (laughs) I think Um, it was worth it. That was a great few days. And I was happy to oblige and have you come with us for those few shows. I know you had a great time meeting your rock stars in Paris, but you also brought Anne to the Antwerp show, which to me was meeting a total rock star, you know? Yeah. So yeah, everyone, are- my date was uh, Anzi Millimister, <laughs> not my date, but it was great to bring Anzi Millimister and her husband to the show and introduce you guys. That, that was a highlight for me also. Um, I remember we were talking in our room and I was like, I'm going to go outside and have a cigarette. And Anne said, can I come with you? I was like, absolutely. So we went outside in the cold and had a cigarette and we're talking. And she said, the last time I was standing in this spot was with Nick Cave years ago, having a cigarette in secrecy also. (laughs) (laughs) Check. This was fun. Yeah. 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 That was, that was a wonderful tour. Um, and it was just, uh, it was, yeah, it was brilliant all around. It was, it, it was worth sleeping on a bench at the airport and, you know, giving up my last savings for the plane ticket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so that's uh, why uh, when we had lunch the next day, it was only falafels. Now I got it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I can't believe someone recognized you. Yeah, that's right. Remember we that? S- sitting. Well, I, we had, Amy and I had never had those falafels before. And you were, you said we need to get these. And we were eating, just sitting on the ground somewhere and got recognized. It was, it was really funny. Yeah. So that's it, everyone. That's how we met and uh, remained friends ever since. For all of the, for those for those of you who wanted to know, um, <clears throat> but what I wanted to talk about was I wanted to start with your own journey and how you discovered, you know, probably not fashion but clothing first, right, and the meaning of clothing and and then finally fashion like i wanted to like wanted to know about your formative years and the years after yeah i remember specifically i'm 41 so i remember early going back to early 80s for sure mid 80s 85 86 87 i remember very well i remember being obsessed with music that was it for me my whole life. And I remember specifically seeing the cures premiere of the just like heaven video and something about Robert Smith's look and just the entire aura of how they presented their faces and the music and that sort of tone of music. 
spoke to me unlike anything I had heard or seen before. I also remember by sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade, I was listening to the Smiths and the Cure and stuff like that. And my father's friend had said to me, you know, those people in the mall who wear all black. And I said, yes. And he said, this is what they're listening to. And that's how I heard the first Smiths record. And I think <laughs> growing up in sort of mall era, USA was pretty amazing because there were these sects of people who looked really radical and cool hanging out in places like malls and record stores then were just not how they are now. It was floor to ceiling merchandise. So there were so many band t-shirts, patches, pins, almost seemingly more important than the records and CDs, tapes, et cetera, that they were selling there. And that had a huge impact on me. And for whatever reason, however, I was internalizing life, that approach to music and how you wanted to present yourself really spoke to me. And then out of high school, like when, when did you start writing and writing music yourself? Well, I was writing early on. I kept journals. I'd write on pieces of notebook paper and fold them up and put them in a box, things like that. You know, I didn't go from just being into those bands and sort of music I just mentioned mm -hmm. to high school directly. I had different phases I went through. Um, I grew up on a lot of military bases. So while I was influenced by the way these artists and musicians looked and presented themselves, I wasn't allowed to look like that at all because I grew up in a very conservative environment. I can remember specifically by seventh grade getting grounded for wearing uh, like fishnet stockings underneath my shorts and combat boots. And, you know, I was grounded and humiliated for looking like that in that sort of environment. Um, it just wasn't okay. So I sort of had this transformation of changing my clothes after I left my house. It was very strict. I had to tuck my shirt in to go to school. Oh, wow. This is, uh, This is going on into even to ninth grade, actually. And um, I just started, I had to be sort of secretive about my passions. And so I would literally leave my front door and change my clothes into how I wanted to present myself. So um, all through that time I was writing and just consuming music. I was the sort of kid who would save his lunch money to buy CDs weekly and tapes weekly as opposed to eating in school. And I was the kid who walked around with headphones on all the time. I wasn't finding much relation into people or peers, particularly in such a conservative environment. So music was my friend and who I related to and spoke to. And I worshiped these sort of portals into a different world. And um, I think by... Ninth and tenth grade, I would start getting together with friends and practice spaces and playing music and singing, you know, Sex Pistols and Misfits covers and stuff like that. But I didn't really start playing music until after high school. You know, I did mm -hmm. bands that didn't 
count. I don't count them in my mind when I think of things I've done. They don't occur to me unless I see a picture or something or someone reminds me of it. But I always wrote and I was terrible in school, at, mostly because of interests. Math, math could care less about history, anything like that. I excelled in English and um, I did well in school in English. And I think most of that was based upon my demeanor as opposed to any work I did or handed in because teachers would just often approach me and ask me to hand in a collection of things I had written unrelated to their class and would grade me on that. And that continued to college. Even I remember being in these miserable creative writing classes in college and professors approaching me and saying, Hey, I know you're not into this and you're not sharing in class. Can you just submit some things you've written? And, um, you know, I was graded upon that. Mm-hmm. Then, and, I thought uh, was, then I thought it was all a scam and quit, you know? Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and at that time, you know, were you also paying attention to how you dressed? I mean, you just said, you know, the way, like when you left the house was like the heart, was your heart beating out of your chest when you had to change? It was a morning argument. Um, I think anyone who may hear this, who grew up in a military family. It's strange because in that situation, sort of everything you're doing is based around your parent who's in the military. In this case, it was my father. When they have that sort of job, they're gone for a majority of the year sometimes, which was the case for me. So as you're growing as a kid and you have all these interests and you're exploring different things and trying to find out who you are and your, your point of authority isn't around to guide you, critique you, offer anything during that time. So when they show up six months later and you're dressed in black and you know, you're trying to look like Robert Smith or something, there's like, what the fuck is going on? You can't, you can't do this. You got to change. So that was sort of my thing over and over and over was these little progressions I was making in terms of feeling comfortable with myself versus having to subdue them due to an authoritative figure, you know, and I, and I, uh, don't fault him for that. That was the world in which I lived. It wasn't okay. Uh, it was so strict and judgmental that, anything you could do while living under this guise could affect their career route, you know? So, right. It, it was okay. Like it sort of coincided, you know, I, I went through that sort of, <clears throat> I don't want to call it a phase because it's still a huge part of me today. Maybe even more so that I'm more comfortable as an adult and can look how I want to look. But I was also get I was also heavily into skateboarding and getting into like hardcore and punk. So eventually wearing a band t-shirt and jeans was, that was enough for me. I didn't have to experiment mm-hmm. as much as they say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I think I know the feeling. I remember being around 13 or 14. So I'm still in Soviet union. <clears throat> right. Um, and I remember, so you can imagine, you know, yeah. an entire country is an army base, basically, in, right. yeah. <laughs> in terms of in terms of aesthetic uh, and in in terms of um, moral stance to anyone standing out. 
And I remember walking out of my house and untucking my shirt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, moving like, like turning my baseball hat backwards. And I remember like my heart beating out of my chest. Yeah. Like. That's, it was a bold move for you. I don't, yeah, I don't think, you know, I'm sure I'm trying to relate a feeling which I don't think any yeah, young person can no. relate to. to yeah, it can sound trite to do that. But these were sort of small forms of expression and an extent rebellion against what you were being told to conform to, sadly. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I had my... Yeah, I was always, well, I guess since I was a teenager, I was really into clothes, not really into clothes, but yeah, like paying attention to how I dressed and I didn't tell you this either. So don't laugh. Well, oh, you, you could laugh. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'll start um, laughing now. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my sartorial awakening, so to speak, <laughs> came with the first Nine Inch Nails video. Um, yeah. that I saw, which was March of the Pigs. I can and see that. I have not. So before that, I would listen to like mix of like, you know, hair metal and like, uh, and synth pop because, you know, being from Soviet Union, like yeah, the those Pesh are the Mode two. is a religion. Yeah. Exactly. The Pesh Mode is, is a religion. So I've retained that part. <laughs> so I can say, well, at least I listened to that. Um, but there was a lot of hair metal, um, and seeing that Nine Inch Nails video was just like my entire world fell apart. And I realized that everything I was listening before this video was fake. Right. And I, and, and I clearly remember next weekend, a friend of mine put on the downward spiral, like literally next week. And it was such an encounter. And then seeing Trent and uh, Nine Inch Nails at um, Woodstock, you know, which was otherwise terrible. Uh, yeah, I, I literally, I threw out all of my hair metal and I started digging into industrial and Nine Inch Nails. And I said, this is if I can't play the music because I can't play <laughs> like for shit, like I can't play anything. <laughs> and I thought, you know, OK, if I can't play the music, then I can at least emulate the look. And then I started digging through industrial music and post-punk, et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, where I grew up, no one really listened to that. Yeah, uh, I mean, that was a. I think you're right in that it was a that era of the that band in particular was sort of a revelation to people because it was up against sort of like Hesher looking metal, slacker looking, I'll say alternative for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden there's this band that's hard as nails but presented there's just no humor to it, which was rare at the time. Yeah. And there was, 
I don't know. It, it was just serious in a different way, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was what I loved about it, especially about March of the Pigs. It was about how, um, it was how deconstructed it all was. I don't know if you remember the video, but that to me, it was a complete 180 of hair metal, which was all about dressing up. Uh, what I mean is dressing up the music and dressing up everything about the music, which if I, you know, having right. that new perception, I thought, well, the music is actually fucking lame. And you had to dress it up with everything else where here it is completely going the other way, completely deconstructing every element of a music video. Yeah, exactly. I mean, unfortunately that's what happens in musical genres because, you know, that was all sort of the hair metal you're referring to is all following like the New York dolls, which isn't lame, mm -hmm. which is, which is great, but yeah. stuff just gets watered down. And I think if you look at what followed Nine Inch Nails, it's the same, same sort of thing, you know, it got pretty yeah. bad. Yes. Yeah, so it's often, it's often in music and I'm sure you can make a parallel to designers, which I often do make parallels between the two, but typically there's these beacons that are so, so great and so influential the downfall to them is that they go on to often inspire tenfold bad material from others. Yeah. Agreed. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I, yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean, I, I just think, um, people like we were talking earlier when I do these sort of Q and A's and people are asking me about what I do and don't like in terms of, different designers. And, you know, I, I always sort of say that to me, I have to be all in and believe in the person's vision in the same way that I wouldn't wear a band shirt of a band that I don't fully believe in. And I right. kind of, I kind of approach, uh, clothing designers the same way. I, I need to believe in what they're doing and it's not a casual thing for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I've been. I totally agree. We're we're totally in the same page here. Um, yeah, and this is probably why my wardrobe consists of like five designers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it really is. It's it's hard for me. I know we're going off on a tangent, but that's totally fine. It is hard for me to buy like a piece casually from someone who. I just happen to like a piece, but not the entire body of work. Right. And, and that it's like a one hit wonder, right? Like it's exactly. And that doesn't mean it doesn't speak to someone else. That's fine. Sure. But we have our own little laws that we live by. And I, I appreciate that one. Yeah. So how did you, you know, as you, how did you, and when do you, did you get into like, you know, designer fashion or fashion proper, so to speak. Well, it was a thing. It, it was an interesting route for me because going from a child and going through these different phases of sort of like listening to what I still consider like the greatest and to this day influential to me in terms of music and aesthetic 
The Cure, Sisters of Mercy, Depeche Mode. <clears throat> These bands that were sort of the full package, but I sort of transitioned into hardcore from then, from there, which was suitable to my lifestyle and still living at home with parents and stuff like that. So, um, is that your siren or my siren this time? That's me. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> um, by the time, so, I, so I'm basically just wearing, uh, you know, the thing I liked about all these people I mentioned, it was that they had these sort of hard looks to more just to soft music, I guess is what, how I'll put it. And that, mm -hmm. that dichotomy is in juxtaposition is to me, pure poetry. That's what I like. Mm. That's what I love. I like, I like hardness and softness combined. And, uh, so by the time I had any sort of aspect, however minute it may be as a public figure was when I started playing in American nightmare. And by that point, depression had got a hold of the better part of my body. I wasn't able to look how I would choose to look. I was just sort of a mess. My version of expression through clothing was just being this really violent sounding hardcore band, but wearing a Smith's or a Jordy Vision or Sisters t-shirt. That was my form of expression of combining this hard and soft palette together. How did that go down with the fans? Because I know hardcore fans are pretty hardcore. You know, it, it, again, this is like another one of those things that sounds trite now, but it was controversial at the time. You know, people called me gay. People thought AN was this poser band because of that. But then on the other side, even more people appreciated it, I think. Uh, it, and then all of a sudden that band came out got popular very fast. And then everyone started wearing Smith shirts to hardcore shows and Jordy vision <laughs> shirts. And these weren't, that wasn't a thing when I was doing it. It wasn't trendy. It wasn't cool. I can remember a couple bands in the mid nineties who referenced that, but it never took off the way it did in the early two thousands. Um, and those shirts weren't easy to find then either. You had to order them from overseas and, those bands were sort of sort of considered washed up at the time. Like no one wanted a mid late eighties, new order shirt in 2000 and 2001. It wasn't really a thing. So I think like years later, it was probably, you know, mid two thousands and uh, mid late two thousands. I remember reading an article about Rick Owens, maybe 2006, six or seven. I remember going to the cloak store in New York and, um, mm -hmm. these, these people were piquing my interest. I couldn't imagine paying money for clothes like that uh, at the time. And, um, uh, sort of just my, the way I grew in my taste in music and music I was creating and sort of combined to this person I had wanted to, uh, be, but couldn't until now. And, Probably later 2000s, 2008, 2009 is when I was fully buying stuff all the time, you know. Mm. And I also can't under, understate the importance of the Styles I Guys forum for that. That was just like great reference point for the history of designers I was 
finding out about. And I for sure was one of those people who went and read like hundreds of pages on Carol and stuff like that. It was just having my mind blown. It was like finding out about this music genre. And, um, you know, I'd seen these pieces casually, but I think starting to go to Atelier in New York and befriending people in that world just sort of changed everything for me. Hmm. Did you, did you feel like an outsider? Because I can't really think of a lot of musicians who are not, you know, mega stars and have stylists and a lot of money, you know, doing that. Did, did, did you feel like an outsider in your, in your well, field? In a way. Yeah. I remember. So I guess it was the second atelier location above there to on this, in the same building, two flights up was Matador records, rough trade, XL and uh 4ED. That's where the office was. So I was on Matador at the time and going to that building and I saw Atelier and vaguely knew about it. And people at my record label would sort of ingest, make fun of that store and the people who work there and the way they dressed. But I was starting <laughs> to sort of dress like that. And I remember coming out of there one day with shopping bags and seeing people from the record label like smoking outside. And they were like, what the fuck are you doing in there? And it was like, so even in that world of mine, it was uncommon because um, they were trying to sort of pres present every artist they were working with as just this indie rock band, you know, and that was never where I was coming from. You know, I went from, like I said, punk to what eventually turned into whatever Cold Cave is, synth pop, sort of whatever band, but it started as a sort of a harsher project that accidentally ended up making pop songs and um mm -hmm. but as an outsider yeah it was the people i was able to talk to about this were few and far between you know i remember meeting alex kasavin early on and mm -hmm. i was i was aware of him because i was a fan of his publishing company which was called void books and i think i met him at a reading in philly for the first time and befriended him. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It was a, there was like a Peter Sotos reading at the small bookstore in Philadelphia. And he had put out a few of his books that I had and I met him there and we had mutual friends. And then I just started seeing him around New York and there was no one I could talk to. And I sort of like that because it reminded mm -hmm. me of being a kid and seeing someone in a punk shirt and being able to have a conversation with him, which is, you know, to the, which is not something that you can really do anymore. You know, like I wouldn't, yeah. and I, th I think I got in right at the end of that sort of special pocket, you know, I'm still like, yeah, I still have to talk myself out of it today. When I see someone in a shirt, that's sort of obscure of a band, I try talking to them and it often results in just, total bomb of a conversation and <laughs> it'd be like trying to talk to someone in a rick jacket today it's like what's the point you know yeah oh i've tried and failed miserably right <laughs> Trust <And me. laughs> i still have that because i grew up as such an outsider that uh, it was such a meaningful thing to see someone in like a whatever shirt and 
Yeah, absolutely. This is like when I talk to young kids today, like I feel like an alien. Like I feel we're like from two different planets. And they're like, uh, what, what? yeah, I like this Nirvana shirt. No, I've never listened to the music. Right. But I like the graphic. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, a little whatever wore it on stage. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I also do fine and straight. But it's it's funny you should you, you say uh I mean I'm drawing exact I went through exact same experiences on my side, uh in different routes. Again, like growing up in an immigrant neighborhood where it was between like Like you can be this uh, or this, know. take your pick, you know? Yeah, it's like either like ace of base or like you know uh i don't know tupac shakur <laughs> right and there were kids who listened to alternative music in my school but i was too shy to right. approach them because i was new to the country and they felt so american and i so wasn't and right i remember this girl uh in in a smashing pumpkins t-shirt yeah and I was like, and I thought how cool she looked. And I thought, there's no way in hell I would, <laughs> this <laughs> this filthy off the boat immigrant would like, <laughs> she wouldn't want to talk to me. Um, but I also, but that's what I wanted. Yeah. And when I discovered designer fashion, it was such a revelation to me and we're talking about designers we love you know Rico and Senzu Milamister uh, Jun Takahashi and whatnot Comme de Garçon Yoji yeah I remember I discovered it around 99 uh, 98 99 I think it was 99 and I had it was my my older brother's friend who was trying to be a designer and he told me like you have to go to the store called Barney's yeah like you really have to go to the store called Barney's like you will like it and so I went uh, by train and you know like from Bumblefuck Brooklyn to the Upper East Side it's yeah. like an hour train right <laughs> <laughs> and I get there and I'm completely like you know before that my idea of designer clothes would be like a dng t-shirt right with the logo um and i had these like dkny like track pants that were like reflective because like i also would go to clubs like dancing yeah. <laughs> Perfect. and and uh, and discovering anzu millimister for the first time and Barney's and Yoji Yamamoto and Ralph Simmons. And like, it just blew my mind. Right. And it was the first time I realized that clothes like that can be fashion. I thought like, oh, it's just an infinitely better version of like what I wear. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you know, like, oh, a perfecto that fits actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because what perfecto fit, you know, like my perfecto cost. My first Perfecto cost $99. Right. And the store I bought it still exists in the same neighborhood. I can walk to it from my apartment now. <laughs> right. You could probably rebuy the same jacket even. <laughs> and I could probably buy the same jacket. Yeah. I mean, and that's a, 
that I think it's interesting what you're saying about the fit because there's to me anyway, and not that by no admission did I know what was going on at the time, but to me it was sort of just based on getting lucky often with secondhand clothing. If the, if the fit was going to be right in the late nineties, early two thousands, I personally wasn't aware of any designers that were making clothes that I could have ever had that would have fit me well. So you, you go through these sort of constant failures of different attempts to look how you want to look. And you just hope that time and designers coincide with you getting it right. And, uh, you know, I should also say that when we were sort of talking a few minutes ago about not being able to necessarily relate to someone anymore who's wearing uh, something that piques your interest, that my interest in this aspect of life and these designers and the clothes they make isn't communal at all. I, have, I don't have an interest really in a it's to me it's very internalized as someone you know because i'm missing my left hand i've had body issues my whole life my weight has fluctuated based on depression probably from missing a hand that to me finding people who made clothes that made me feel better where i was able to sort of look how i want to look and take control over that was so meaningful to me and which is why I became so sort of religiously following certain designers because they did change my life. They did make me feel better about how I could present myself as someone who is, uh, for lack of a better word, in shame with how I looked for most of my life and, and had been hiding and, you know, just pure, pure uncomfortableness for as long as I can remember. So that's why I was full in when I discovered these people, you know. Yeah, e- exact same thing happened to me. Exact same. Yeah, I, I was I was overweight for most of my teenage years um, and my early 20s. Then my, went, my weight went down because I started exercising a lot. And yeah, then after too. I got married the first time. You know, I just became a snowman. Yeah. <laughs> and and I always, and like one of the reasons I always wore black is because it's to hide my weight because black slims you, you know. Yeah. So it's not, it, it, was, it was an added bonus to being like the, you know, the <laughs> rock and roll color. Yeah. But but it was also that. And uh, my mom was all, would always yell at me like, why you always wear black? Nah. You know, I was like, um and, and that was one of the reasons. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's like it's been very internal. And then after I got separated, like uh, like after my relationship with my first wife fell apart, like I lost thirty pounds in like two months. Yeah, I've done that too. <laughs> and because I was so depressed and. I was like, well, the upside is, well, the clothes fit me better. <laughs> yeah, it's a great feeling, actually. It is, it is. But it's, it's, I don't think, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, it's this country, the society in general, but people are actually afraid 
to talk about clothes, making them feel better about themselves, being like this protective armor in which you hide your own insecurity. Yeah. And I think that's so valid. And I don't know why we don't talk about it more. I don't, I never hear people talk about it. To me, that is the most important part of it. You know, I, when someone's able to create a vision that you're able to internalize and relate to and say, yes, that speaks to me. That's how I want to be presented and represent myself based on actual inside emotions as opposed to flavor of the week or whatever. That's a beautiful thing. And to me, that's why I revere this handful of creators. Yeah. In the same, yeah, same, same in the, here. In the same way I relate to singers who are able to speak and sing things that I didn't even know I was feeling. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I yeah, it is just, yeah, this connection to the creator was exactly what drew me in because the first designer I fell in love with was Anzi Millimister and encountering her at Barney's. And I thought just looking at the clothes and mind you, these are, these are clothes, these are garments. They have no lyrics, no notes. It's not a painting. It's not a photograph. If you think about it, it's a very limited item of, you know, that, that speaks in a very limited way. But when I looked at those clothes, I thought, I don't know who that person is, but I know the music she listens to. Right. I know the pose she has read. I'm quite confident in the art she loves. And then years later, when I've read the first interview with Enzimili Mister, I, I said, yeah, of course she's friends with Patti Smith. You yeah. know, of course she's friends with PJ Harvey. You know, uh, of course she loves, you know, uh, Robert Mapplethorpe. And yeah. it, it just all made sense. And I think that connection is really precious. It's the best. Uh, it's, and even uh, I an important uh, I, one in relation I'm just thinking of now is I remember seeing like 2010 or 11, these photos of Lawrence Weiner uh, just decked out in a photo shoot in these sort of beautiful and suits and scarves. And that was the first time that I could imagine myself older. Yeah. You know, I know exactly the photo shoot you're referring to that photographer has shot for us. Okay. Dude, that was yeah. beautiful, beautiful to see. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I like this. I, I had also, I like this parallel between designers and singers because okay, they are creators in their own fields. Uh, and it's funny when you grow up and it's what you said earlier, when you see the people who you don't know, but you can relate to better than you relate to your own family and your own friends. Yeah. I can't think of anything more powerful. And it's also... That. It's cool when you end up meeting some of these people and it's just comfortable. Yeah. You know, it's these people who represent a part of you without them knowing. But then when you end up meeting or befriending them, it's just instant comfort. 
you know, being around Anne is instant comfort. Yeah, I agree. And I could say the same thing about Carol. You know, I've spent, I've visited Carol a few times and it's sort of just like talking to a, an old friend or something, you know, you just, mm. there's, there's something that you can see eye to eye on. Uh, and there's a, an unsta- unsaid comfort. Yeah. And, uh, that's, re- that's relieving, you know, it's like, it's not like a don't meet your heroes thing, but every now and then you do meet someone that you revere so much and it just clicks and, uh, it's not, it's not weird. It, or, um, you know, I've had that a few times with musicians Mm-hmm. Usually not. Usually I, I prefer, <laughs> usually I prefer not to meet them, but for whatever reason, those two people who are probably, um, the most, uh, inspiring to me in this world yeah. are just also incredible people. Yeah. To not let down. Yeah. I, yeah, there's sometimes I feel like it's a missed opportunity not to have met some musicians who are now who are no longer with us and one of the reasons i well a secret reason why i started style zeitgeist magazine and started writing that i actually got to meet some of the people i revered for so long and but some i didn't like and i am I really regret that I did not get to meet Leonard Cohen, for example. Uh, I met him once, but it was um, it was sort of just a funny meeting. This was, um, I think, less than a year before he passed. <clears throat> Amy and I were walking out of a grocery store um, in West Hollywood, and he was walking in, and he winked at her. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to let him get away with that. So this is my end to talk to him. So we went back in and just approached him and talked to him for a minute. And uh, this was a few days after Valentine's Day. I think it was the next day or no, it was the 16th because it was Valentine's Day and then my birthday the next day. And Amy had given me this uh, first edition old poetry collection of his. And so I mean, the, the end of the story is we punished him, but he was a uh, very, very polite, you know, <laughs> but I just like, you know, I, yeah. it was like, like you're saying, I didn't want to go through life knowing that I could have had this sort of s- small interaction and not. Yeah. So, you ha- yeah. You have yeah. to take those chances. There's especially only, with someone like there's that. only a few people who would trigger that response to me. And I'm glad that we yeah. had that little moment. You know, yeah. Uh, I remember something Cohen said, like a sartorial thought that has stuck with me, <clears throat> and it was in a documentary about him, which was only worth watching when he spoke and no one else. <laughs> and that was just embarrassing. But he said, because we a lot of times when we talk about clothes especially in america right it's all about comfort you know it's all it's all about being casual and being comfortable and he said in that documentary you know i tried the jeans and t-shirt thing uh and it's never worked for me uh because i've never felt comfortable yeah 
And that's why I wear suits. You know, I grew up like my father was a, you know, suit dealer. Uh, and I grew up wearing suits and I've just worn suits all my life. And that's what makes me feel comfortable. And I thought how much comfort is actually <clears throat> a mental thing as opposed to a physical thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because what he was saying is like, I just want to be myself and I don't feel myself yeah. in a jeans and a t-shirt. Just like I don't feel myself in a suit. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to feel comfortable anyway. So I try to just look how I'd like to look <laughs> regardless. <laughs> <laughs> So fuck both of um, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so the designers you love, I mean, you mentioned some of them already. And the Millimeter, Rick Owens, Carl Christian Paul. Who else? Uh, who else uh, do you love? Well, I have, you know, I can remember being in New York I forget what birthday it was of mine. I was totally alone. No one was around. It was a snowstorm and I had nothing to do. So I went to a tele and, and bought a pair of, uh, Emmy cross pants and just walked home and just sat in my apartment by myself wearing these new pants that I was in love with and drank wine by myself. And that was enough to fulfill me for that 32nd or 33 year old <laughs> birthday. Um, oh. I like these sort of, um, I like clear vision in people. So often, um, often I am drawn to the people who have these sort of clear visions like that, as opposed to um, too much change. Yeah, and I'm like that with music too. You know, I, I I'm not a great music listener in terms of like you know people always want to champion new bands and. And I, I like to do that also, but I'm so in awe and someone with endless gratitude towards the people who changed my life that I'm so um, tied to them and thankful for them that I sort of tend to stick with the people who made it, that impact on me. Whereas people want to know, like, what, what have you been listening to lately? And, and it's like, I don't really want to answer you because how many times do I need to say I'm listening to new order or the cure or the Smiths because, <laughs> right. but these are the people who spoke to me and for me and shaped my life, you know? And I'm like that with designers, like Carol and Anne are the people I admire the most in terms of their vision. I wear and own more Rick pieces than anything else because it suits my lifestyle the most. It's, mm -hmm. um, there's the, there's a lack of um, preciousness to those clothes right. that sort of for someone who travels all the time, it's just the go-to for me. I love, um, I love Klaus from Verkstadt and what he does. Yeah. You know, I've gotten through cold cave to work with a few different designers like Alexander Plokov, who I mentioned cloak before, but I, I really like, Alexander as a person and things he's done. Um, Cold Cave recently did a mask with Takahiro, which was yeah. fun to do because again, I, I appreciate his history and 
what he's done and continues to do. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I introduced Taka to your music. Thank you. He's a kind, <laughs> yeah, that, kind soul. He's a, yeah, he's a really a wonderful human being, um, on top of being an amazing designer for sure. But we always, we always trade music tips. Well, usually music tips go one way from him to me, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but there was one where I asked him to, I said, yeah, you should check out cold cave. And then he wrote me and he said, yeah, this is really great. So, um, I was very happy. That's because that's another thing. Like, um, I feel like if someone introduces me to new music or a new designer, I haven't know, like, it's such a gift. Yeah. Um, that is increasingly rare. And I don't know if, whether it's an age or because the world is shit. Uh, one of those, <laughs> a combination, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it's like a gift. I wanted to ask you, do, do music, do you get much crossover in music, whether it's other musicians or fans who are into fashion? Because it doesn't feel like a lot of it. It doesn't feel like there is a lot of that. Through Cold Cave, I find it fairly often. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an understanding of, of the joining of those worlds through that project. So it's not unusual to have a conversation with someone after a Cold Cave show about Rick or Ann or Carol or something. It's pretty common, actually. Um, okay. And maybe that's because there's not that many musicians in tune with that. I can think of a few mm -hmm. people who are, but the music they play doesn't necessarily speak to people who thoroughly follow those designers, you know, yeah. like, um, my friend, Matt, who sings for piss jeans, he was one of the first people mm -hmm. I knew that I could talk to about designers, you know, and, okay. but I don't know how many people at a piss jeans show are coming up and asking him about Horosaki or something, you know? Right. But, um, yeah, 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 do you ever get blowback also, like for essentially wearing expensive clothes? I haven't, but I kind of ignore blowback in general. Um, I feel I've been getting blowback my entire life, so uh it it's not something I hold on to, but i nothing comes to mind for that, you know, yeah. Yeah, that, that's cool. What what I love is the what I love, and I can even say admire the crossover you've made between being in Cold Cave and being in American Nightmare because they're actually such two different worlds. But then I'll see like hardcore fans in a cold, at a at a Cold Cave concert. Yeah, and in my experience limited experience hardcore fans you know they don't really there is not a lot of crossover to other genres no and sort of to see them like to see them crossover i mean 
I think that's quite an achievement. And I think it's like, it's, it, it, it's gotta be a testament to your integrity on all levels, man, because I can't think of anything else. It's really cool because when Cold Cave started up, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing with just anyone who had heard of me. It was like a specific crowd. It was new. And, you know, even then there weren't like 1 million synth bands sort of doing synth pop industrial goth sort of thing it wasn't happening really you know there was minimal synth stuff in new york and a few other pockets of the world but it wasn't a thing and so um certainly when cold cave started the majority not all but the majority of people who knew of me from american nightmare didn't care hadn't heard of it didn't check it out could care less you know so over the years these worlds have sort of combined and that's sort of been the entire, the entire point is to, all right, I'm this person. I don't feel comfortable in this world. I don't like this world that much. I've not wanted to have been a part of it for a large majority of my life. So if I'm going to stick around, I want to try to create something, however big the bubble is that I can live and operate in that, will resemble some version of familiarity and comfort to myself. So that's why I like doing both bands still and um, taking other aspects from other mediums like fashion that I like to sort of enhance this little corner of the world that I want to be in. And it's nice to see that grow and it's nice to turn people on to things and to be turned on to things. And, um, you, you know, like you said, it wasn't really, um, there were this sort of guidelines of if you were to be in a hardcore punk band, these other aspects and of life were not cool. It wasn't a part of it. It wasn't okay. And when American nightmare started 99, 2000, I remember specifically being criticized by people from hardcore world because we were going to like indie goth dance electro nights. Like it wasn't okay with people. Mm -hmm. There was, there were bands that <laughs> broke our records on stage at the road shows because they heard we went to like a Brit pop night. <laughs> like people are psychotic, you know, of course now like all those people are older and like went through like, some lame oasis phase or something like that, but it wasn't cool then, <laughs> you know, it wasn't cool, but, um, yeah. it's always been about trying to, if, if you're a miserable, uncomfortable person, you can either just peace out or try to create something that's going to make life a little more interesting and enjoyable. And that's what mm -hmm. I try to do. And that's what I'm doing with the publishing company I have. I just want to make books that I wish I had in my bookshelf. I'm looking to cling to sources of inspiration because they're so rare to me. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. And in a way, uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been doing the same thing. I, yeah, I'm also not, I guess, particularly fond of this world. So you just find people who you can relate to. You find authors, painters musicians fashion designers who you can relate to and 
some other people. This is why I started Style Zeitgeist, honestly. Yeah. There was no one I could talk to about fashion I liked in my so-called real life. I bet. This was really it. Yeah. This was really it. This, this was really being an outsider and being so much in your own head. Yeah. And like not being able to relate to people. Like when you find more in common with like Baudelaire and yeah. <laughs> then, then, yeah, you know, like you're not really, or with Kafka, like you're not really. Yeah, right. Of this world. I mean. All that much. I think you making the decision to do that was really incredible. And, you know, I hope that people appreciate it because for me, I had nowhere else to learn about that world. That was it. That was a spot to go to that was full of information and opinions and factual and um, attuned to the history of, of these designers and where they were coming from and what they were taking from and full of references and it was an amazing sense of uh there's just so much care to it even within that little community you know it was it was brilliant i spent hours thank you spent hours learning about things there you know yeah thank you as and i learned a lot too and i learned I'm, i'm pretty sure that's where i learned about cold cave actually because uh, I've gotten a lot of music references um, from Styles I guys, and I learned so much also from other people. I think people think that, you know, yes, I started it, but it was a community, and that was the most interesting part about it. Yeah, I mean, I can say that if I could trace two two important people in terms of my interest in designers curation would for sure be what you did with styles like guys. And also Carlo's curation of Atelier at the time. It was, it was yeah. perfect. You know, thank you. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Atelier was a breath of fresh air. Um, I think for all of us, like, but I mean, for me personally, it was because at the time Atelier started, basically, literally the year before, a lot of stores dropped a lot of my fa- my favorite designers, and Atelier just brought them back all in, without the fluff surrounding. Yeah, them. it was. And, yeah, it was sort of bad because, in a in a way, because just traveling on tour all the time all over the world, I would check out different stores all the time. And there was cool things, but it never had the. Uh, the aura of Atelier. Yeah. Which I found surprising when you told me that story about the record label people. Because you think that'd be the very kind of people impressed by a story like that. No, they looked at them like aliens, you know, which uh, which <laughs> it just sold me on it even more, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking phonies. Yeah. Okay, so you guys doing yellow coke every night, don't like those guys? Cool, I'm going to go with them. <laughs> <laughs> are there any any of these designers like would you ever do a soundtrack for a show for sure i would love to for a fashion show. um it would, it would have to be something i believed in and i'd be happy to do it at the same time there's a part of me that likes being an outsider in that world because i'm able to fully enjoy it still you know sometimes when you get too 
wrapped up in different scenes and you're not able to enjoy things the same way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then you find all the phonies on the scene and then you're like, I'm out. Yeah. It's, it's, sometimes it's good to just sort of be an observer, you know? And I, I like to take that role at the same time when I put myself out there and met, like I said, you know, certain designers, it has been beyond fulfilling. You know, I met, I met Carol because I was buying pieces of his from Atelier and, uh, I liked, there was a, I was crossing this line between what he was doing and it was reminding me of like Vienna actionists and he was working, he was using words like prosthetics and stuff. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to see if he would make me a prosthetic arm for my left arm. So I was talking to friends at Atelier and they approached him and he said he was down to do it. And I had plans to do it. And then I moved to Los Angeles. I started getting, going through the process it turned out I was going to have to have an, a prosthetic cast made by someone who actually made prosthetic limbs. So I did that here and that sent me back like twelve, fifteen thousand $15,000 because it, there was no insurance company paying for it, you know, because wow. I'd have to go through this whole step. When I was a kid, I had prosthetic, I had prosthetic arms and I stopped wearing them in like fourth or fifth grade when humiliation got the better of me. And, um, since then I never reapplied for any disability or anything like that. Cause I just wanted to disassociate, disassociate myself from that word. And later on in life, I was like, this might look cool to have someone I admire who is sort of working in this with these ideas, make me one. And I wanted whatever. So I, I had the arm made and then it made more sense to fit it with uh, one of Carol's, long titanium knuckled leather gloves, which is what I did. And, um, Mm -hmm. as a result of that struck up a a small friendship, which I don't want to say too much about after listening to your interview with Carlo and it made me sort of rethink that how I should respect his privacy as a person. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) he probably likes it to be honest. He's great. I mean, he's, you know, He's the, he's my other friend that came to a nine channel show on that tour, you know? Uh, and, um, Oh yeah. I remember They remember you talking. About yeah. That. That's it was I mean. a fun night, which I won't say too much about, but, um, <laughs> basically my, uh, friendship with him did spring up from me wanting to have him create a prosthetic arm for me. And he was fully into the idea, you know? Um, I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Have you, so I want to, I want to expand this discussion a bit because it's been very personal up until, until now. <clears throat> and I want to talk maybe a bit in general about fashion and music and how they are related. And I came across this quote by Frank Zappa a long time ago, and I keep going back to, which basically says, no, no change in musical style will survive unless it is accompanied by a change in clothing style. And it's summarized so neatly, or like the myriad of yeah. thoughts I've had about it in my head. Do you see it in the same way 
and through the history of fashion and music, would that something? I do see it the same way, but I don't relate to it in terms of steps I've taken. Um, one of the most brilliant aspects of different genres throughout time is the clothing and look and uniform that comes with it, you know? Um, and it's often the first thing you think about when you, like when you say hair metal, you don't think about the music at all. You think about how they looked when you think seventies, you don't think about the music maybe first, but in terms of, uh, you'd probably, your mind might reference the look first going back 50s, 60s, 70s. It's all sort of bookend by different aesthetic choices. For me personally, though, I've always liked looking like an outsider within a world because that's how I feel. Um, and subscribing to a particular look, while I understand the attractiveness of it, it's not something I've really been able to take part in, you know? Yeah. yeah. I've always... But I think but I think, I've but I think, wondered about I think the... that quote is right, though, for sure, you know? in a way yeah yeah uh up until now i think because now i don't know what the fuck's going well on. it's just like post 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 so um which is interesting in a way too but it does um it's interesting because you don't know what you're getting anymore i like that and but it also the downside of that is that a large majority has been watered down. Yeah. Yeah. At least if you were getting something and not knowing what it is, <laughs> that, that would be like, that, that would be better. But uh, I agree. Like I go back and forth on this and on some level, like we said before, you know, you see someone in a Nirvana t-shirt today and or in a Perfecto jacket and it absolutely no longer guarantees that these people are have a deeper connection yeah uh outside of just the look yeah sure um i find that you can often and it's you know i, I think i know what you're getting at and that is certainly true but you can also it's what that look does to everything else about you. So you can see it in someone's face in any facet of life, if they mean it or not. Hmm. To me, that's, that's where I find the difference. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't not wear, um, some particular clothing because it had been too taken over. Yeah. Because I don't consider myself the same as other people anyway. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree, but it does sometimes get to me. Sure. <laughs> like, especially with designers you love, or okay, I'll talk about myself. I love that I hold on to so like dearly because here's the thing. When they <laughs> were creating the clothes, you know that they went deep right and you know that they're genuine yeah and then when you when i see that on someone uh and i've had that a lot like in italy at like at like fashion weeks or trade shows where like you see someone and 
I think that it's, it's with what you just said. Like you look at a person and I was like, I know you're in Recoins, but I know you were wearing Dolce & Gabbana yesterday. Yeah. Like I, I can see it. Like you just don't have that je ne sais quoi. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you don't live it. Right. So if you're, to me, if you're into that, if you want to, you like Rick, you want to wear Rick, it becomes trendy. You just ride it out or you stop doing it and it's no big deal. Like it all comes around. So <laughs> you're referencing this Nine Inch Nails video. By the time that came out, I could care less about Nine Inch Nails because it had been overtaken by like these people in my school who I, I was like, what? Like, this is what you guys are into now. You like Bon Jovi yesterday. I'm out. But at the same time, it, it comes back around where years later, the band makes more sense to you. You end up on tour with them. I could have just quietly done my thing, and kept listening to it the whole time and probably had a more fulfilling life maybe. But um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I know what you're meaning. You, I can't imagine being in your position and having to be um, in that world because I know for me, the times I've been most miserable are at music festivals. Like I fucking hate. Oh my God. The worst. Well, I mean, as a musician, I hate being around 1 million musicians. I don't feel that I have, yeah. I don't feel I have something in common with someone just because we're in uh, the same industry or field or whatever. It's, it, it makes me uncomfortable. I like doing stuff on our own, you know? So I can't imagine yeah. being you and having to go into these different rooms and different worlds and hearing everyone just talk and talk and talk and talk and like being able to keep your mouth shut. And that's why, that's why like, <laughs> I usually don't. <laughs> right. Well, you, yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard about you, <laughs> but, uh, but again, that's why sometimes it's nice to bow out and just sort of appreciate the things that you like by yourself because it's not, it's yeah. not going to end well. And, uh, typically, we do find things that the world eventually finds and we, we can't just jump ship to the next thing every time because it will just keep happening. Yeah, for sure. I had that experience, especially uh, with Rage Against the Machine. That was for me the worst uh, when they got transy and because... Yeah, I mean, that totally. We've, we've talked about that. I mean, that quickly turned into like the f football star giving the gym teacher the finger. You know, it was like, that's, that's what happens. Doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't dilute, um, what the band was about. Exactly. You know? Exactly. No, I, and yeah, I still listen to it and I still, I don't know if you saw these things last year where, uh, I think there was an article somewhere about some quote-unquote fans of Rage Against the Machine because they were trying to do a comeback and right. there's some fans tweeting like, oh, we didn't realize what you're singing about. And I'm like, what? Right. It's 2020. Like, where have you been for the past 30 years? It's insane. But but that kind of thing, and like for me, that kind of thing impoverishes culture. Like whether we talk about music or fashion, I, that it impoverishes culture to me because the substance gets taken out 
and a lot of times the substance gets taken out and the look is left and and that's the problem that i have with today's fashion that right sure the it's paint by numbers get the look with like zero substance on it and until i'm not opposed uh, i'm not opposing sartorial like codes being scrambled and you know when when I see someone in a pair of Doc Martens and a Perfecto today in New York. It's usually a young black girl, um, you know. It, it and and I think I'm cool with that, but I haven't yet seen like what what will be the substance that comes out of it. And maybe it's too early to say. But yeah, I think you can't. I think you can't judge that because you don't know what that means to them. Like that may be a sign of rebellion for what they're doing. It may be referential to something we might not even understand. Um, that's yeah. That's what I'm trying to get, uh, wrap my head around. But you know, when I, when I watch a lot of you know, when I watch music videos today and, and I see the sartorial codes of the long ago, Again, I'm I'm not against them being scrambled, but I haven't seen yet like what substance is going to come out of that scrambling. You you know what I does that make any sense to you? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um I I would revert to not expecting anything to come out of it, which I think is a yeah. safer yeah. um although existentialist <laughs> approach to everything, I think um <laughs> I, I need to learn that. Yeah. Maybe I will learn one day. Um, a band I was in called Some Girls had a song called You'll Be Happier with Lower Expectations. And um, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. I, I mean, lowering expectation is the key to happiness. We know that. Right. Um, I, I wish I could as a, as a result of not doing so. I'm on a lonely island and uh, it's, it's, it's nice enough. Yeah. But um. I think I would also yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm I'm just wondering and again, it's not the first time sartorial codes have been given new context. Uh but it's usually come with some kind of a substance and I'm increasingly finding it harder, you know, like you said when you're in post 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 postmodern world I'm 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 finding it harder to hold on to something of substance in this culture. And when I talk to these kids, I'm also finding it and I have talked to these kids. I'm also finding it harder to see what they're holding on to. You know, in, in terms of cultural depths. And I've asked kids about like the band t-shirt, for example, and the the usual answer is, which is like a usual defense, is like, well, they did the graphic, and I think it's cool to be rewarded by for the graphic, yeah, and and that's the attitude. Like it's it's a very uh, it, it's it's to me it's like it's a very consumer oriented answer, a very transactional answer, and that's what I'm trying to wrap my head around i think i mean everyone is being fed a look an idea and um you know people come to their own uh 
that just might be a stop along someone's route, you know? Yeah. I think that's what most of it is. I think you're right. Like the only, per and I feel like the only person, the only musician who's been really successful at sort of transforming themselves was David Bowie. Because he went through so many transformations. Yeah, I mean, in a way, he made transforming his constant. So it did work for him as opposed to, um, there were, you know, I I have friends who are older who um, think he was the biggest poser of all time, you know. But because that was sort of his go-to change, it worked for him as opposed to yeah. people who took on an air of desperation when they started to feel irrelevant, you know, like you right. don't need the guy, you don't need someone in, um, you know, wearing one thing and then, um, trends change a few years later, you're putting on like shiny pants and, uh, trying to do something else. And it's just like, it falls on its face, you know? Yeah. Um, somehow, somehow yeah. whatever, whatever Bowie had in his personality um, was fortuitous and that it was able to transcend time. Hmm. I think for him it was, I mean, since we're talking about glam rock more or less, I think I, I talked about it with, with Rick Owens a little bit. Uh, we were talking about artifice and then it hit me uh you know we keep talking about nature you know natural this natural this we was but when we would had this conversation with drake i it hit me and i said actually if i think about it artifice is the most human thing there is hmm. all other species are natural sure you know artifice is is actually well it's because the most human thing there's a there's an aspect to being a human that comes with unending just constantly being unsatisfied yeah exactly and I, and exactly and that and might be exclusive also to us. i think chasing sure yeah and i think chasing excellence for the sake of it which is what i love about art yeah because you know, our minds can't keep up with our emotions and the constant changing and insanity around us. So we're always looking for a way to improve in order to feel better in this chaotic mess. So I do wish I was an animal to answer your question. I don't know. I feel like at the end of the day, no matter how much pain we go through, we kind of, I feel kind of okay where I am. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I, I remember, <laughs> I, I, I see this, so this uh, Nick Cave meme that recently, which I'm the last person to know about memes. Someone showed it to me and it was Nick Cave and it said, I was happy once. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah. thought like that, that's per that perfectly describes. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I, I can relate to that in a way. 
as I'm older, moments of happiness and sadness all kind of blend together throughout when I look back upon my life. And um, it, it does sort of seem all the same to me. You know, where, whereas uh, in the present, I can't even tell what I have. I'm just uh, existing and hmm. trying to keep moving and um, trying to keep shaping my own little world into something that's enjoyable for me. And if other people want to take part in it, that's fine. And I appreciate that. But I've never been someone who's trying to sell something to other people. Um, it's really been a matter of survival in a sense of um, sort of fighting complacency. Yeah. But I think that uh, I think that's the definition of integrity. And I think that's and I think some musicians have it and some musicians don't. And I remember I remember once uh, listening an interview or watching an interview with Trent Reznor. And he said, it was a recent interview, fairly recent, a couple of years ago. And he said, what people forget is that there are artists and there are entertainers. And we confuse the two. Yeah. And, and that kind of did it for me. Yeah. I, I thought there was a very neat um, delineation of who's who. And we can apply it to fashion as well, I think. And Definitely. I think the people will love they are artists and and it's like you said it's it's about world building right you build a world and and it's an aesthetic world if, even if it's an aesthetic world it's a world based of substance on substance like this aesthetic has to come from somewhere deeper you know and to me like wearing black because you're dissatisfied with the world and want to stand apart from it i'm like yeah that works for me even if it's a surface thing totally and it's getting harder to do. <laughs> um, yes. Now, um, I find, I found for the past few years, wearing black was sort of a non-issue as, you know, it became a go-to look for the majority of people in major cities, I guess. So, uh, you know, you started questioning, should I get out of this? <laughs> and uh, it's, you sort of write it through, like we were talking about, designers and bands and yeah. uh, devotion to it. But now I find it annoying because yeah. um, I'm finding the reactions uh, in present social climate, and political climate are, are um, I'm being treated certain ways in different neighborhoods based on what I'm wearing. And it hasn't happened to me in years. You know, wow. I, 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 people ask me if I'm uh, an Antifa. People have asked me if I'm a, weird like republican militant um it, it's confusing people <laughs> I, I get, i've gotten both in the past month really it's like that's so weird it's like you, you got I'm just, you got it all wrong ma'am i don't like any of you <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> leave me the fuck alone yeah um i mean i i, I haven't got that in New York, but I've definitely, you know, like I said before, like when all when all the fuck boys started wearing perfecto jackets with sweatpants and Nikes and baseball hats, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna put mine on ice. Like it's fine. I'm I'm gonna wait it out. And now I can wear it again. 
It was the same with the bomber jackets. For the longest yeah, time, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be caught dead in a bomber jacket. I didn't own a bomber jacket <laughs> until like two years right, ago. Right, you waited till it was over. Because, yeah, because I was like, I am not going to do this, you know, take this punk symbol and turn it basically into nothing. Uh, and again, uh, like I said, I'm not against scrambling sartorial codes and it's been done before but this time like it hasn't it's, it's just been pure fashion which is as which is what we hate you know fashion in uh, fashion meaning as trendiness yeah it's just uh jumping on the bandwagon and then well what gets you excited now nothing <laughs> like are, you, are you still clinging to these old ideals and uh, inspirations, or absolutely? Are you on the or yeah. are you on the hunt still, or both? You know, I'm always on the hunt, and I can't afford not to be on the hunt. Uh, and that's by virtue of I personally, I just I I love life, and I love I find aesthetics stimulating one of the very few stimulating things in life to me is aesthetic um, and fashion is that so yeah I'm always on the hunt but I haven't really found anything new that I find interesting and I'm not saying it's a problem of designers and I'm not saying it's my problem either I think it's just where we are at culturally so much has been done that it's really hard to create something radically new. You know, to create your own aesthetic today, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very hard. I mean, well, I don't know. Like, what have you heard that hasn't sounded like a copy of a copy as of late? Yeah, I, right? yeah like, it's, it's, it's rare. It, it's difficult. And it kind of sucks, like, I because for ironically a lot of the a lot of the, kids. a lot of the uh music that isn't a copy of a copy sonically is coming from um maybe the world that you're referencing in terms of uh watering down fashion you know so there's a weird mix up yeah. of of culture right now for better yeah. or for worse yeah yeah and again you know something like i hope something comes out of it like music wise like i had hopes for a minute for a minute when um soundcloud rap started coming yeah. out and i thought this is actually yeah it's otherworldly really cool yeah but then it got co-opted in like yep. two and a half minutes and you get all town road at the end of it right you yeah. get you only get the love you think you deserve yeah Exactly. So that's where we at. Um, I don't want to add on a sad note. <laughs> I don't want to talk about death of subcultures and sartorial codes because we're still alive and so are other people and a lot of people can relate to. It. And you know what? A lot of young kids can relate to. It. I don't want to bash this. No, of course not. That's not what's happening. They are going through the same emotions that we've gone and like 
every generation goes through these emotions. Absolutely. And even in a way, even like, like when you I, talk about someone like Rage Against the Machine, for example, although it was taken over and the meaning was askewed, there are still people who come out of things that become trendy and do incredible things after it. And that's, yeah, that's the brilliance of things getting popular also, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I hope the same will happen in fashion. Like there has got to be a new generation that will come out and do something phenomenal uh, and do it in their own way. But I want to end um, by asking you if you have any like fashion slash music moments that you have found influential or important or meaningful to you, you know, besides seeing that Cure video, for example. Yeah, sure. Um, I remember specifically a few things, or I could just name people rather. It might be easier. Yeah. As a kid, my parents had leftover records from the 70s and 60s. And one of them that they gave me was The Doors, Absolutely Live. And uh, that particular era of Jim Morrison was just a total 10 for me and still is to this day. And a lot of the people that I also cite in my life are super referential to that particular moment of him. Andrew Eldridge, Ian Asbury, people like that through the 80s, early 90s. Uh, to me, it's all traced back to him. Um that was one of the first albums I owned and I would just stare at it and listen to it forever. And to me, him in that moment was, um, pure poetry because it was soft and hard at the same time. Um, right. you know, I also think back to people like Lou Reed and John Cale and, um, you know, the, the entire sort of Velvet's world, was just too perfect to me. And then um, another thing I'm thinking of is because I grew up in a strict home, uh, I was only allowed to have so much music as a kid. And uh, the Beatles in the Hamburg era, just full head to toe leather, was just an A plus for me too. Um, I, I think things that followed that were sort of uh, post that. I think about like Lux from the Cramps and... Um, you know, sort of like the major memorable people from 80s goth world, like Susie and Peter Murphy and Andrew Eldridge mm -hmm. are still to this day. Uh, even Dave Gahan in the early 90s was perfect. Um, yeah. Think of Glenn Danzig in the Sam Hain era. was perfect. And, um, you know, when I see like, I know it's sort of, it's not considered late now, but for me it's considered late. If you watch the Cure's Friday I'm in Love video, like Robert Smith's outfit and that is just pure Rick from, you know, eight or nine years ago. You know, it's like the mm -hmm. big white sneakers, the black pants, the oversized white t-shirt with the front print. You know. Yeah. It's funny how... I think it's really interesting how everything came full circle because a lot of these designers were inspired by music. And then they started making clothes like that, 
which became better than the original things. Because if you yeah, look like I, for sure. in, in preparation for this, uh, I've watched a lot of, I've rewatched a lot of music videos and I was like, man, yeah. um, it's, it's endearing and a little bit embarrassing at the same time. Right. And, but, but back then it wasn't, it was like, I mean, you look at the, some the, some of the early Depeche Mode videos, and I like I can't think of anything any more hilarious like <laughs> than the early Depeche Mode yeah. videos. But they were icons, it's certainly for me. Yeah, they were trying, you know, and that was what was important. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They, could, they, uh, they they were trying. They couldn't go spin, you know. Hey. They couldn't go buy the outfit. You had to piece it together, yeah. you know. Yeah, but then those designers came took those looks, improved upon them, developed them, developed their own aesthetic universe. And then also, and then the new wave of musicians came to them. You know, so it's kind of coming full circle, which is, which is what I love. Uh, and a new wave of fans too. Yeah, and for me, like we said, the Depeche Mode was one of those defining bands. And I often think of myself at... 13 and i think well how could you listen to like bon jovi and depeche mode at the same time <laughs> well you were, <laughs> one of them was not like the other well you were it, those you're young those were fed to you and the world was exciting probably and you were taking it in and you decided to stick with one and leave the other behind you know yeah yeah but going back to some of these moments, I again, that first feeling of realizing that the clothes match the music, it, to, to me, that's so precious. And if you talk to someone like Andy Milimista, right, you know, that, that Patti Smith album, Horses, where she's on the cover, you know, shot by Robert Mapplethorpe, there you are. For those uh, who cannot uh, see us, well, none of you will see Thank us, God, yeah. but yeah, you have that album. <laughs> um, for Anna, it was such an iconic image that for her, a white cotton shirt has become a staple. You know, it's like, it's, right. she could consistently reinterpret it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's strange because, yeah, right. So you have Hattie Smith putting all this heart and all that she embodies like that outfit is nothing without her, you know? Exactly. And then on the flip side, you have Anne taking that from her and putting it into the clothes. So of course it just gets better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like, and I do like designers who like recreate some of these things because I'm at a point where I like, wearing what I call what I call wearing a bansy without wearing a bansy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when someone like the sweater I'm wearing. Sure. You know, right? You can see it's yeah. Ian Curtis. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It says isolation. It's undercover. Uh but it's like it's like a wool it's like a cotton cashmere with intarsia like you know, it's not a print; it's intarsia. So it's it's just it's like a very elevated version of what I wore when I was like eighteen. Totally, and I kind of love right. it. And I think retaining that is really precious. I don't know to me. Yeah, because it's just refining. 
just what life should be. Yeah. I just also, I guess, I hate people who quote unquote grow up. And life is sad. I've never grown yeah. up. And I don't want to grow up. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very happy where I'm at and holding on to, I think, some of the purest emotions that form when you and a teenager. Uh, you know, I don't think it's growing up. I think it's growing old when you don't hold on to those. And it's nice to see creators who hold on to them. Yeah, these... Uh, even if we grow up. That's what kept me alive. It's why I'm still here and it's why I'm still indebted to it. Yeah. Well, I can't think of a better finish than this. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I'd like to apologize for any ums or likes that I... I didn't talk to many people growing up. I chose to sing and write as opposed to talking. So I apologize for the delay in my speaking. Oh, yeah, same I never here. got good at talking. I wasn't that interested in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same here. I'm still learning this trade. I'm still, every time I hear myself say, you know, uh, you need to stop saying that. But habits die hard. Anyway, Wes, thanks a lot. A real pleasure, as Thank always. You. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc, intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.